Hello and welcome to this episode of Triggered and True, featuring renowned emotional health consultant, Laura Duncan. Thank you for being here and thank you for investing the time to learn how to take care of your soul. If this podcast sparks any questions, feel free to submit a question by going to triggeredandtrue.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page and clicking ask. If you would like to learn more about Laura Duncan, we encourage you to follow Laura on Instagram and Facebook. Also, a great resource for you to consider is the Compassion Method Master Course. This course is a deep dive into Laura's life work, the Compassion Method. The Compassion Method is a process that empowers you to learn to see and comfort your internal pain and to discover your true self, your true self, that beautiful, wonderful part of you that has been there all along, but has simply been covered up. To obtain the Master Course, go to CompassionMethod.net and as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount that can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Brian Frizey alongside Laura Duncan, and you're listening to the Triggered and True Podcast. This is a podcast that's all about you discovering you, going back for you, being with you. You're more than the pain you've experienced, the behaviors you're expressing, and the thoughts that run through your head. Together, we will find your true self, which has always been with you. It's just been covered up. Tune in as we show you how to feel your pain, get comfort, and go play as you return to you. It's time to transform from triggered to true. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Triggered and True. Thank you for joining us. This is a great episode that was stimulated by a fantastic listener question. And the question was really centered around what happens when the pain is just so big that I can't access the compassion method. And Laura does just a wonderful job kind of walking through kind of some workarounds and just some kind of some real practical things, because in theory, the compassion method sounds amazing. And I think a lot of people, um, know that a lot of things can sound amazing in theory, but then how do you apply it when you are in the absolute trenches? And that's what today's podcast is about. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Triggered and True. I believe this is, right. I don't believe, I know this is episode number 35. So thank you everyone for joining us on this journey. And today we're going to be talking about what happens when the pain is too big. And the genesis for today really came from uh, a listener question. And uh, I really enjoy listener questions, Laura, as I know you do too. Yeah, I do. Cause it's real. And then this podcast is about real triggers, real experiences. And so we hear from listeners, it's even better. Yeah. Yeah. We love it when it's real. And I think all these, and if you've ever been to a workshop with Laura or done any type of an online class, you know, she likes to use you as a guinea pig. So <laughs> that's true. If, not because I'm trying to make people uncomfortable, but because it really makes a difference when it's real and not just the theory of it or a concept of it. Yeah. You do a really good job with that. I know a lot of times, you know, they talk about when you're in like a lecture environment, like you only retain 30 or maybe mm -hmm. at the best 40% of what you hear. Yeah. And um, I actually personally think it's probably even less than that because- I think so too. I think that's like the people that are really good audio processors, but there's people that don't process through audio and they're probably struggling at 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And you can use visuals and you can use all those things mm -hmm. and all that stuff helps a lot. But I think your practical examples like, like, hey, can I have a volunteer? Let's walk mm -hmm. through this. And somebody yeah. invariably is brave enough to step up there and I do it. I'm always so grateful for the brave souls. And, and also it's good for them because they get real healing. As much as it's a real um, you know, example that people get to watch and that teaches you and helps you do it for yourself, that person gets real healing too. And I always like to preface that. like Just because we're in those types of settings doesn't mean that you're not actually getting a real healing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, on to the question. So um, this uh, lady is asking, she says, I came across the Triggered and True podcast two weeks ago, and I've binged 24 episodes already. And I'm listening to the remote control exercise episode again. You know, I never thought about Triggered and True be something you binge like, a, you know, like a Netflix um, series yeah. or something <laughs> like that. But 
but uh, it's awesome to hear her getting uh, life yeah. from the podcast. I so, love that. So anyway, she's listening to the remote control episode again, which is episode number six that she's referring to. She says her question is, how would you walk through the remote control exercise in the midst of an actual crisis that is triggering you? So she goes on to share that her husband was in a car accident recently, and there was about a three-hour period where she had no, she wasn't with him, and she just didn't know what was going on. And uh, evidently, he was a ways away. And she talks about how she had struggled with panic attacks for years and had gained some level of victory over it, but this set her into a panic attack that she, try as she might, could not um, work her way out of mm -hmm. until the three-hour mark when she got a text saying that he's okay. He was all right, yeah. Yep. And then she was able to kind of calm down. So her question is, I tried the remote exercise because I had time during that three-hour window uh, too, and I couldn't figure out how to comfort myself any other way. And um, But she just was saying she was having a really hard time connecting to the remote control exercise and actually going through the, the steps of it. So I thought before you kind of answer that question, maybe giving a little bit of a review of what the remote control exercise is, again, for those that haven't listened to episode six. And if you haven't listened to episode six, I would encourage you to go back and do that. But maybe just give a little review of what the remote control exercise is and how it's uh, really a cornerstone of the compassion method process. Yeah, so... What the remote control exercise does is it takes the um, an external circumstance, a small external circumstance, but in this case, a very big external circumstance, and redirects our, our attention, our focus back to ourselves in order to be able to take care of ourselves so that we can find peace in our external circumstances. And so it's walking us through a step-by-step -step process of how to take care of our heart when we have big events happen in our lives. Because we are, we're not robots, so we're going to be impacted by things that happen outside of us. But the beautiful thing about the compassion method is we can come to um, a level of peace, even in the, the most difficult circumstances, if we know how to take care of our hearts. And in this case, it was too big and she was in such a big reaction that she wasn't able to do that. But as she learns and as she's able to walk through it, and some of the pointers we're going to give today will help you when the pain, it feels too big or when the circumstances feel too big to be able to process. Yeah. So you want to just walk through the actual steps? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. So we start out by being able to start. We, well, the reason I call it a remote control exercise is we're pausing the external circumstance. So in this case, she would be pausing that her husband was in a car accident and she would pause that. That's very difficult to do because that's a really big moment. It's very hard to take our attention off of it in that moment and put it towards ourselves. But it's similar to like being in an airplane and putting the oxygen mask on herself first and then being able to put it on the circumstance. And so pausing it allows her to put 100% focus on her heart for that moment to take care of her heart. After you've paused it, you're going to come to your heart and say, what's going on? And you're going to face and connect with the reaction emotions that you feel even though we can all agree that would be a very terrible thing to hear and to experience how we each are going to process it different. Each of us are going to process it different based on our own wounds and our own story. So then you would explore what are your reactions to it? And once you've connected with your reaction emotions, you sift it down to be able to get to tender emotions and the tender emotions are the sad or the scared or the lonely that's behind our reaction emotions. Once we're able to get tender, we can find out what we need emotionally in those moments. And then once we've connected with our tender emotions and what we need, then we're able to then show compassion to our pain. And then we can unpause it. And usually there's a measure of peace or a measure of being okay, even if we still don't have the news if her husband was okay or not. Mm -hmm. One of the ways I think about the remote control exercise is that what you're essentially creating, what you're what you're essentially doing is creating yourself a an inner sanctuary, if you will. So it can be just this swirl of confusion and everything going around you and fear and trepidation or or whatever is whatever you're feeling, like whatever those really big feelings yeah. are. And it allows you just to like really kind of, yeah, you know, pause the world, if you will, and connect to that inner 
that inner world, your inner sanctuary, and begin that process of bringing some comfort just to mm-hmm. calm it down. And yeah. it's so it's so amazing that once you do that, you realize that, and you gain confidence in this process. You really start to have a great hope that you know what I can be at peace in this world, mm-hmm. and it's not dependent on it being peaceful around me. No, exactly. Which is so amazing because there's so many things that, like a car accident, there's so many things that are outside of our control. That if we waited for our lives to be perfect, to be at peace, we'd be waiting. Our whole lives would be disrupted by the things that are outside of our control. Yeah. Yeah. And back in episode six, I think we go through some specific examples of kind of walking through it. So I think that would be great if if you want to have like actual actual mm-hmm. example of going through it, go back yeah. to the, go back to that episode. So so let's just talk about this particular situation where, you know, she she had heard the podcast. She, she knew about the remote control exercise, but was just unable to pause. So what's going on here? Yeah. To start out, that makes so much sense that it would be very difficult to be able to do the remote control exercise in that moment because we're our amygdala, our fight or flight response is in such an overdrive that it really debilitates our brain from being able to process, to think, to reason, to even do the remote, remote control exercise in the first place. So first of all, I want to start by commending this listener for attempting to do the remote control exercise because there, probably everything in her wasn't feeling like she's going to be able to do it. And then even dealing with the disappointment or the struggle of not really effectively being able to walk through it. But even the fact that she tried to walk through it and she tried to connect with her heart, even if she didn't have complete effectiveness, that's a beautiful thing. So I want to start for her and for anyone just trying, even if you don't aren't successful in it is a big step but I do want to help you become more successful in it. And so we're going to go over a couple different things that could have been helpful in that moment. If I could have been sitting with that listener at that time. Yeah. One of the things I guess I would add to that is that this process is a little bit, especially when you first learn it is it's foreign mm-hmm. because it's not anything that any of us were ever really taught how to do yeah. from yeah. a young we were age. Actually, I think in a lot of ways we were taught kind of to ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Yeah, exactly. How to ignore it, deny it, or just fully get into it, the the trigger and the reaction of it. And, you know, you know, get super triggered because that seemed like an appropriate response to such a big circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we weren't taught how to actually take the time to focus on our inner world and take the time to take care of our hearts. So very understandable. And I think that was one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we shared is that. Yeah. It's like a foreign language, you know, it's going to be difficult to speak, even if you've been practicing it, it's difficult at first until it becomes natural. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So let's just talk about how do you pause when you can't pause this type of thing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to it personally. When I first started doing this, I remember thinking, I can't believe I give this to other people to do. This is the worst (laughs) exercise ever because in my triggers were so big. My first response was this doesn't work. Even though I've been walking tons of people through it when I had my big circumstance that caused a big reaction, I just wanted to get rid of it. So that was kind of funny, just since I'm the one that's helping everyone do it. When I tried to do it for myself, because my amygdala was so triggered, it felt impossible to, you're not alone in this, even though I intellectually know this so well in my trigger, it was a struggle too. So being able to face it starts with, you know, the first step is the pause. And that pause is so difficult for people because for all of us, because everything in us wants to blame it, wants to justify the big reactions that we have. Or wants to fix it. Wants to fix it, wants to find answers, is waiting for that call to know it's okay before we can be okay. You know, it's and so, which is somewhat of a codependency that we have to know our world's okay before we can be okay. And we want to be able to be less codependent with our external circumstances so we can be okay regardless. But that pause is very difficult because your brain, especially when you go into trauma, is doing obsessive thinking. So her brain was probably on overdrive thinking of all the different things that could be happening or not happening. And she she was the focus of being able to pause it is very difficult in that time. But almost like going up a current, you know, it's almost like you have to just be like, pause, you know, like I'm going to pause it. One thing that was helpful for me is I'd put my hand on my head and I'd say, it's nothing to do with the car accident. It's nothing to do with the car accident. It's nothing to do with the car accident because it was a way of me having redirecting my brain to be able to pause it. 
because her reactions to it, the car accident was triggering what was already within her. So it's not really about the car accident. It's about what's going on inside of her. So that was really helpful with the pause because then I could start to redirect away from it. So once I've redirected away from it and directed towards my heart, then we're into those reaction emotions. And one thing I would say- I, I actually want to pause you yeah, yeah. one second. <laughs> Go because, ahead and pause me. <laughs> because if I was just listening to you for the first time, I'd be like, what in the heck is she saying <laughs> that it's not about the car accident? Her it's husband totally. was, it's like, did this woman not hear that her husband was in a car accident and she doesn't know anything about his condition? And you just said, yeah. it's not about the car accident. And I like, know. I always feel bad about that, especially when we have really justifiable. You should feel bad about that because it seems pretty <laughs> bad. Where's the compassion? <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to get there. But the point yeah. of it is, if we don't do that part, we can't get there. And we can't do it. And, and it is the truth. Even though mm -hmm. our fight or flight, our triggered brain is saying, yes, it is. It's everything to do with it. Five minutes ago, I was fine. As soon as I got that call, I was completely not fine. It is the car accident. And our logical brain is going to get stuck there. And that's why, even though we want to be able to obviously show compassion and show empathy, which I definitely have. And that must've been a very difficult mm -hmm. three hours. If we, if I, and I have this happen with, when I do one-on-ones with clients all the time, if I spend time in, in the, uh, even the compassion of it, but the sympathy and the pity and even the compassion of what they're going through, we're going to keep agreeing at how bad it is which is going to keep elevating the, the reaction inside the person. So as much as I want to be able to say, you're right, it's terrible. You should feel these feelings and these feelings are justified. And I feel them too. Let's feel them together. That actually is not going to be the most loving thing that I can do in that moment. And so, yes, it does feel a little heartless or disconnected to pause and redirect and recognize it's not about the car accident. Um, so that makes, I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up because it does seem kind of heartless in the moment, but it's actually the most loving thing you can do because now I can show her how to take care of her heart. And the point you're trying to make is not that the car accident is not very significant. The point no. you're trying to make is that the car accident is piling on top of something else. Exactly. And if we can't get to the something else, then we are actually hijacked, kidnapped, you know, in our emotions by the car accident. And we can't think clearly and we can't see clearly. And we're just in the dark in our reaction. Mm -hmm. okay. so it's like giving people eyes to see what's how they're really feeling in reference to it. Not just yeah. the fears that come up and the reactions that come up. Because at the end of the day, you know, those are always usually going to be even worse than whatever the circumstances, because yeah. we are going to have those thoughts that are thinking this is, you know, the worst thing. And, and obviously it could have been a really bad thing, but our brain goes there even without knowing that it was or wasn't. Well, that's a really good point because the reality is that in our trigger, we always go to worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Like exactly. do we, in your trigger, do you ever even consider, oh, you know, what if he wasn't hurt at all? No, that is no, that probably I mean, yeah, that never even crosses your nope, brain. Not even as an option. Yeah. Because that's survival. Yeah. Survival says I have to go to the worst case scenario to protect me from the pain of hearing that he's in a car accident. And so we're living the worst experience. Instead, if we were able to connect with our hearts, we could live in peace versus going through the trauma of our imagined scenario. Yeah. Because that traumatizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we keep keep constantly living these worst case scenarios over and over and over again is, you know, obviously robs you of life. Yeah. You know, and that's what, that's what you're trying to help us do. So have life, not rob us of life, but give us our life back. Yeah, so exactly. let's continue, let's continue with the process in this, in yeah, this example. That was so, a good clarification. I really like that you jumped in on that. So we paused, we did the best we could there to pause. And then, then we're feeling the big reactions and maybe just expound upon that. Yeah. So when we, after we pause, we come to our reactions. And this is another way, reason that the remote control exercise is not as effective sometimes is we get stuck in our reaction emotions. So yes, we paused, we turned towards our heart, but all we can feel and all we can see and all that we're experiencing is reaction because that's what feels the biggest. And so 
one of the most important things to do is become tender in those. But if we're in survival, thinking the worst case scenarios, feeling huge terror, feeling big reactions, feeling whatever those reaction emotions are, it's very hard to get tender in that moment. But unless we get tender, we can't receive the comfort that we need. So most likely in this situation, because her brain was in survival, she wasn't able to get past reactions to her tender emotions. Mm-hmm. So once once a person is able to kind of, I think maybe it makes sense to just kind of walk through the process the way it would go kind of ideally. And then we can talk about a little bit more about where we get stuck yep. and maybe, and maybe, I don't know, workarounds, if you will, you know, for yeah, when we get no, stuck. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. So, so we, so in her case, let's say in this trigger, feel that big reaction. And when you say feel the big reaction, I think a lot of times we're trying to make ourselves not feel. I know that I am mm-hmm. like, I don't want to feel this. Mm-mm. This feels like, this feels literally like hell on earth. I want to get yeah. rid of this yeah, exactly. reaction. So then, then I try to get rid of it by worrying. I get rid of it through thinking through contingencies, like yeah. who could I call? Who could I, what could mm-hmm. I do? You know, and, yeah. and in this scenario, you know, when you're kind of in a scenario where you are really without information, that's mm-hmm. where you really have a powerful opportunity to really do this because there just isn't anything you can mm-hmm. do. Yeah. You know? There's no other way to medicate yourself. You have to face the pain. There's no phone calls. There's no whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so, so let yourself feel it. Yeah. And that's, that's the vulnerable place. That's what we all don't want to feel. And, and sad and scared and lonely are very vulnerable feelings. Well, and in that big reaction thing, why you would maybe not even want to let yourself feel that because you think you might be stuck there forever. Mm-hmm. It might feel too like, big. Our flight wants to deny it, push it down, suppress it. Or our fight wants to obsessively think about it, go into hysterics, you know, let it overcome us. So it's probably based on if you're a fight or flight, how much you're going to try to suppress it and suppress the reactions and not connect to them. And if you're more of a fighter, you're probably going to want to give into the reactions and have really big emotions, but stay stuck in those. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was going through this the first times and, you know, some of the first things that led me to you when I was having my big, my big anxiety, I would, uh, I learned that I just kind of had to turn in the direction of the skid, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I just had to let it all come. Yeah. Let and myself feel I, it. That's why I say often just sit with it. Just let yeah. yourself feel it. And sometimes you have to even say, like, if you're like connecting to your heart of just being able to say, heart, it's okay to feel. And then you'll feel big waves come and then they'll ebb and they'll flow. And you just have to be in it in order to be able to feel it. Because if you don't feel it, you can't heal it. You can't bring comfort to it. Mm-hmm. And we can't rush through the reactions to get to the tender emotions because we have to feel the reactions even if we don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after we've let ourselves feel, we mm-hmm. can get we can get tender because beside behind all of those great big feelings, there's something softer. There's something mm-hmm. more tender. There and always you, is. You mentioned it. Yep. So tender emotions also a lot of times like it's connected to our child self. You know, the more we can get tender, the more we can connect to when you first experience trauma, when you first experience pain. Obviously, different circumstances. But the building blocks of how we're going to process pain for the rest of our lives is how we process pain as a child. So a lot of times when you get to your tender emotions, you'll start to feel smaller. You do feel small in your young, in your um, big reactions too. You know, you think about like a toddler throwing a fit, you know, those reactions feel really big in a similar way. But also when we get to the tender emotions, that's your true self as a child feeling the pain of whatever experience that you had as a child. So it's not uncommon once we start to feel our sad to feel very young again, to feel very vulnerable and feeling young again. Mm-hmm. So letting ourselves feel that. And so let's say, you know, we went through that and let's say they've, the person has isolated that what I'm really feeling here is sad, or I'm really feeling scared. And bringing comfort to the scared is mm-hmm. the next step is searching through what does, what does your scared need? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So then you go to those 10 things. A lot of times at that point, people say like, you know, they'll, they'll go back and unpause the trigger and say, I need a phone call. I need to know he's right, okay. Right. But we're, we're again, repausing. We're saying, nope, we're scared. Phone call is not an option. 
Yeah, it's not, not an, an option. option. So we're going to redirect back. What is your scared need? Does your scared need to be seen? Does your scared need to be heard? Does your scared need to be protected? We want to be able to find what is it looking, what is our scared looking for to feel the comfort that it needs through those emotional uh, 10 gifts. And like I said before, for everyone, it's different. You know, for some people, they don't feel like they're enough in it, even though logically they can't do anything to help their husband, they might not feel like they're enough. So they need to know that they're enough in that moment, even if it's illogical. And so they're scared because they should be doing something. They should be more. And they have to recognize that they don't feel like they're enough in it. And when they feel it, when they feel the comfort of knowing you're enough, they're able to comfort the scared that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. So let's say we've, we've isolated that uh, we're not feeling enough. Um, then you know, this is, this is the 10 gifts. We've had multiple episodes on the 10 gifts as well, but like in the midst of the remote control, would you have them, would you direct that maybe they should think about finding where they've experienced the 10 gifts before, or would you go more towards kind of how I usually do it is if, if the scared is more the pivotal or like the the core emotion that they're feeling, but they, they recognize that they need to know that they're enough, but it feels less, less than I would go towards compassion of comforting the scared. But if the enough is just like, like a signal that's just going off and like too loud to even be able to work past it, we do need to pause and take the time to find people in our lives that have helped us feel like we're enough because we're not going to be able to properly comfort the scared. If your brain is saying you're not enough, you should do more. It's your fault. You should be helping them. You should figure this out. You can't even get to the scared because the not enough is too loud. Mm-hmm. So then you would want to bring someone in to be with the, the feeling of not enough to give you that gift of knowing that you are enough, even if you can't help, even if you can't fix, even if you can't do anything. And then that helps us sift back and come back to the scared again. Mm-hmm. Like when I go through it, like the, I can't help but thinking that my biggest part of that would just be the scared. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that I do, and you can, you can critique me as to whether I'm applying the compassion method, remote control mm-hmm. exercise in the way that uh, you had intended when you created it. But my thought was like, when I get really scared, I like to picture like what age I feel. Mm-hmm. And then usually it's really little. So I kind of picture myself as an adult sitting with my little self. And like one of the compassion words that just gets me every time in the scared is that I will sit with you until you feel safe. Yeah. Like I'm just going to be here. Yeah. There's nothing to figure out. We can't figure it out. No, We're not going to figure it out. And that is such a helpful thing. No, that's important to do. And like, we can come back, we can like make a note. Oh yeah. I don't feel like I'm enough here, but really I'm scared and I need someone, I need to bring someone in or be with myself and just sitting here until you feel safe that someone's with you and you're scared. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know that I'm, I know that I'm starting to get a measure of comfort when I can start to see like uh, the flicker of hope. Yeah. Even if it is the worst case. Yeah. So back to the car accident. Mm-hmm. Even if it is the worst case, whatever that worst case is in your mind, whether it's death, permit disability, whatever, whatever your worst case is, even if it is worst case, we know that there is always hope. Yeah. And we're going to be okay. doesn't feel like it in the moment, especially in our big reactions, but we're going to be okay. We can heal. And sometimes it's just, you just see that flicker of it. And that flicker is all that you need. Cause it's like, I saw a flicker and I can hold on to that flicker. And as I hold on to that flicker, the flicker can grow, you know, can grow into a flame. But part of this process of the remote control is that, and I think one of the things that my opinion, why maybe it wouldn't work, so to speak, is that sometimes people think, well, it's like this one and done little thing, Mm -hmm. but it's like, actually, no, (laughs) because Because we can get re-triggered, we can get, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like this, this consistent going back to it. And I think to me, that's where the hope starts off as a flicker. And as I Mm -hmm. do the process more, it grows into a flame. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that flicker though is really powerful 
Oh it yes. Didn't take that flicker time can to get hold to you strong. Exactly. Yes. And, and it can give you just enough hope to be able to feel some level of okay, even in the midst of the scared and reactions. And like I've said many times before, our goal is not to be emotionless. That is a very scary situation. You know, like that it's okay to feel your emotions. It's okay to feel scared because how can we sit? If you use that compassion phrase, I'll sit with you until you feel safe. How can we sit with you? if you don't feel. So it's good yeah. to feel your emotions. It's important to feel your emotions and and it's okay if they're big emotions. As long as we're able to go through those big emotions to get to our heart to be able to sit with ourselves until we feel safe. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about okay being clear-minded, tender-hearted and at peace and you think that well, I'm not okay until I'm perfectly clear-minded mm-hmm. tender hearted at peace. And exactly. It's like, oh no, 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 no. 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 That's no. This, such is a good a, this is a continuum. Brian. You know what yep. I'm saying? Yep. And take the five percent. Five percent's better than negative twenty percent that you were in. You know, take the five percent of feeling some hope, feeling some comfort. And the next time you do it, it'll be more. And the next time you do it, it'll be more. Because you're actually building relationship with yourself that prepares you for really difficult circumstances that you've built this relationship within yourself. And that is going to sustain you and hold you in those moments. Yeah, that's a really great point you made about building that relationship within yourself. This is this is developing that relationship. Yeah, it really is. And if again, like you said, with it's all new and foreign to us, like a new learning a new language or learning anything new, of course you're not going to instantly have that relationship that's able to effectively walk through the remote control exercise. You know that takes time and investment and intentionality and real connection with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And this, uh, this relationship with yourself is, is obviously the, in my mind, obviously the, the pivotal thing to allow you to navigate life and to Mm -hmm. live life to the fullest because we, we minimize life so much by reducing it, letting our triggers Mm -hmm. box us in like, Oh my God, I can't think about if that were to happen, because I could never survive that, or how would I ever get through that, you know, but, um, but as you develop that relationship with yourself, you grow in the confidence that mm-hmm. that would be horrible. But I know yeah. there's that flicker. Yep. There's a that flicker. I, that I, I could be through. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And that is so valuable and so important in those moments. So again, lots of patience with yourself. It is a process. But again, like I said, in the very beginning, even if you just try, it's going to be more comfort than if you didn't try, even if it doesn't feel completely effective. So a couple other little like, let's just talk a little bit about like, you know, the workarounds. So it's real, it's real, it's probably very normal for people to be hard that have learned this process and are learning this process to be hard on themselves when they're not able to apply mm-hmm. compassion or they're not able to yeah. pause or not able yeah. to do whatever. You know, one of the things I thought about, like in this scenario, and you've shared this before of, okay, so let's say in the midst of it, you weren't able to pause. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, it's a day or two later or whatever, you're down the road a little ways. Yeah. You can go back. Exactly. And that's very important and effective as well. Yeah. So just talk a little bit about the going back. Yeah. So when we are in such a heightened state, our brain is so hijacked. So when my amygdala is engaged to the degree that it's engaged is the same degree that my sophisticated brain is disengaged. So let's say that she was at, you know, 95% in her amygdala. That means she was only functioning in her sophisticated adult brain, 5%. And that sophisticated adult brain as a refresher is your reasoning, is your um, ability to see perspective, is your ability to um, logically understand something that's happening. But she was so in her amygdala, which is also your child brain, that she couldn't think in that moment. And that's a big part of why it didn't work. Even if she had had the history with herself and history with the remote control exercise, there's a possibility that she was just so hijacked because she was so scared that her amygdala wouldn't allow her to be able to process and think to walk through it. So sometimes we have to come back to it later, but it's important to come back to it later. Even if she got the good news that he was well, that situation told us, Hey, there's some unresolved scared in your heart. 
that got compounded and intensified by this circumstance. That's your heart crying out and saying, help. You mm-hmm. don't want to just medicate with, okay, he's fine. We're all good. Because there is still pain there that needs to be taken care of. And in relationship and to- And a real trauma that happened. Yeah, real trauma. You still experience trauma, yeah. even though it all worked out. That three hours is very traumatic. Traumatic, and it right. It needs to be acknowledged and needs to be tended to and cared for. I mean, so I like in this to too, like, basically, like, let's say you, you know, uh, got cut really bad or something like that. And you're yeah. like, it, just because you got, you know, but like, if you got cut really bad, you would know that, okay, my body went through trauma. I mm-hmm. have to take care of it. Yeah, exactly. And it may take weeks to recover. Yep. But when it's emotional, mm-hmm. there isn't we like just this disregard. Yeah. We're not, we're not physically bleeding. So mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, okay. It's all, all good now, but it's yeah. like, no, it's it was still same. traumatic. Yep. It's the same. It needs the same care and attention exactly. that a really bad cut would need. And one thing that people don't realize is because when we're starting to like imagine worst case scenarios, that's vivid imagination. You know, on mm-hmm. the compassion method with vivid imagination, we go back and we bring real experiences to our child self so that our child self can experience the 10 gifts, experience compassion. Well, vivid imagination works in the other way as well. When she's vividly imagining a worst case scenario with her husband, her brain lived as if it happened. So it wasn't just scared as a reaction, it was scared as a reaction to what her brain was imagining. Her brain said it was true. So that's why we have the PTSD and the different traumas that happen, even when we have a good outcome, because our brain said, I lived that he died. I lived that he was permanently disabled. I lived that he was severely hurt. And so we want to go back and tend to it as if it really did happen, because that's what our brain experienced. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's a good point as well. And so, you know, we've been talking about, and this, this particular question was around an acute trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things that came to mind as I was reading your question too, is like, that's an acute trauma, but I've seen this similar type of thing happen where I would call the trauma more chronic, meaning that the trauma happened a long time ago mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like continuing to go there. And the specific one I'm thinking about is where, you know, a lot of this process of healing is going back to your child self. It's going mm-hmm. back to feeling how old you were. Yeah. Connecting to because when you feel how old you were, that's where that kind of that original stacking trauma happened. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of having to go back to that because that mm-hmm. little child is where the healing is the healing balm. Yeah. You know, the, it's the origin. Needs it's to the be back applied. to the origin of the pain. Yeah. So um so one of the other questions that came up in my mind was I was thinking through that. So what if it's more of this chronic thing where the trauma is too intense to go back to? So maybe it's in a really intense childhood trauma and the protectors that have been built over a long period of years, mm-hmm. you know, like we've, yeah, the protectors, the building blocks to protect us from facing our pain, like mm-hmm. whatever we do, whatever those protectors are, we've done some podcasts on that too. Those are great ones to go back and listen to, but um, and the longer ago the pain was probably pretty likely, the more elaborate that your protection system is kind <laughs> yeah, of built. No, definitely. So, so you, your protectors are blocking you from going back, but you've become a little bit aware that having to go back to childhood is important, but like that pain from childhood or whatever is just so big. Yeah. Again, the pain is too big to go back. Maybe uh, just talk a little bit about that and some comparisons and maybe some of the things that are maybe a little bit different versus like maybe this acute example. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a different blaming in a way, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, we can, even though it's justifiable, we're blaming the current situation. Well, when we have past trauma that we've experienced, we can be blaming that as well. Even though, again, it's justifiable, it keeps us from being able to pause and take care of our hearts the way that it needed to be taken care of at that time. And sometimes we have to do it in kind of bite-sized pieces because of those protectors you mentioned are keeping us from facing that. But opening up the door, putting it on the table and saying, we know it's here now. Mm-hmm. And as it triggers, whether they're small circumstances or big circumstances, we know that we're coming back to this origin of pain and we're going to piece by piece build that relationship with ourselves, particularly with this trauma point until it feels safe enough to go to the deeper pain there. And that takes multiple times to get to that place, to be able to face that larger trauma. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And in breaking it apart, you've talked about breaking apart, maybe even the the elements of the compassion method mm-hmm. and breaking them down a little bit yeah. or uh, spending time with specifically just with compassion. Yep. Or spending time specifically just with the 10 gifts mm-hmm. or shame and blame or. Yeah. Yep. It's really, so a lot of times when some, the remote control is not effective, you can see how there's pieces of each module in the remote control exercise. And so whatever area you're getting stuck on, that's the area you want to go back to that module and revisit it and reconnect with it. And, you know, if it's, I am recognizing this is going back to childhood, but I can't connect to my child self. You're maybe not right in that moment. In that moment, maybe all you can do is bring compassion, which is great. And that's a very effective thing to do in the moment. You're bringing compassion, but you're going to want to use this event to be able to go back to that place when you're able to, when you feel safe enough to, when you feel ready to. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times what happens, um, part of that, part of that not wanting to go back, obviously, is a protector. And one of the things I've seen too is like a real disdain. Like, um, they really start to not like their child. No, we're avoiding pain. And now this child self are recognizing it started there. And we're just like, ah, if we could just shut that door and not open it up again, then we could carry on with our lives. Now, why do we have to deal with this kid that's crying over here when we just want to move forward and be okay in this moment? Yeah. Kind of at the beginning, um, before we started recording, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, we're, we're doing this first and foremost for ourselves, the Mm -hmm. byproduct is, is as we're able to comfort ourselves, we're actually able to be with others. Yeah, that's very true. That's the byproduct, Mm -hmm. but that's not the primary reason. No. It's the byproduct. But you made a comment about, um, you know, when we're, when we're super triggered and we're wondering why we can't connect to the remote control or why we can't do this, that it's babies helping babies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Um, So it kind of sounds funny saying it that way, but ultimately what that means is when we're in our amygdala, we're in our child brain and to whatever age our child brain is going back to is connected to what we're experiencing in that moment. But when I'm in my amygdala and I'm in my child brain, I am young again because I'm not in my adult brain anymore. So I feel like a baby. I feel young. I feel too little to be able to face this trauma that's happening right now. I remember when my husband was sick and I was dealing with caregiving and I'd have difficult moments in caregiving. I remember thinking, and before I knew what the compassion method was, I remember thinking if I was a kid, I wouldn't have to do this, but I Hmm. feel like a kid right now, even though I'm an adult and I still have to do it. And it was really hard to do it because it was so much responsibility to keep him alive and to keep him okay. That I, but I was being triggered and didn't realize it. So I kept saying, I wish I was a kid. So I didn't have to do this. Because I actually, in my brain, was a kid in that moment, and it was mm-hmm. too big, and it did create a helplessness and a hopelessness because I couldn't keep a person alive. And so, being able to go back to being little and the helplessness, and not being able to take care of myself when I was little because of the circumstances in my life, same helplessness. And I was three years old. I felt three years old trying to take care of him as a thirty-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so being able to go back and say, oh, I'm a three-year-old trying to do something that's too big for me right now. That's a baby. And if I'm trying to help my child self, helping a baby, I mean, there's no adult in this scenario because right. my adult brain is hijacked. It's shut off. It's disconnected. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting concept. I remember when I first learned about that, and I think I've shared this before, but the whole child, you know, you're reverting to your, your child brain, your amygdala, and you're not, you're not an adult anymore in many ways. Um, yeah. I remember arguing with my 18 year old in the kitchen and in the middle of the argument, I'm like, this kind of came back to me. I'm like, wait a second here. <laughs> this is, this is a grown man arguing with an 18 year old, but really it's two five-year-olds in here bickering about the dishes, you know? <laughs> it really is. You could even hear it. Like if you ever, Most of the time we can't be observers of it because we're so stuck in the trigger, but sometimes my sophisticated brain is a little bit on and I'm able to kind of be an observer. That's that's (laughs) one of the things about doing this process is you can start to do that. And then you just like, you start laughing because you're like, we are literally sad. No, no, it's almost like there's two, two worlds colliding. Like part of you is laughing. Part of you is like, what the heck are you laughing about? (laughs) Exactly. No, no, exactly. Cause you're still in the trigger, but But you might still be doing the stupid argument. And you might be saying to yourself, this is stupid. You need to just stop. 
Yeah. No, I, I totally feel that even like my tone of voice I can feel is young and I can Mm -hmm. see like the words I'm using, like that's stupid. I'm like, what am I saying? Like, that's not how I talk as an adult. I might start cussing a little bit in that moment. (laughs) Just a little bit. And I know that I know that that's going on. Yeah. It's Uh happening. We're both little again. Yeah. Yeah, But babies trying to help babies is what it's like when we're so far into our amygdala and we're so little. And then we're trying to search for our wound, our uh, wound origin of wound or wound of origin. And we're trying to find that place. And that's a five-year-old, but I feel like a five-year-old. How can I help that five-year-old? And so mm-hmm. that's where we take a step back to the best of our ability to bring compassion, even if we can't go there because our brain's not functioning correctly. And I think kind of a final thought, you know, as we, as we wrap up today, um, for those that can't go back to the childhood, because that pain is so big and they just, they're really struggling in that area. Yeah. Cause, cause obviously for some people it's easier to go back to that childhood memory or to that child self than it is for other people. Yeah. So if you're one of those where it's really, really, really hard, one of the things you've talked about is start wherever you have a connection. Yeah. So maybe that is That's really good. Your young adult self, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it wasn't the origin, we can still connect the time that we do feel like we can connect with. Yeah. So, and you talk also about that's kind of a process that's almost a building block where as you start wherever there's connection, that kind of opens the door to a connection that may be just a little younger. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. just, it's kind of like, yeah, you kind of have great. a word for that um, reverse linear. I reverse think linear. Calls. So yeah. you start, instead of going from your child self up to your adult self, which is ultimately our goal, we're going from yeah. ages that we can connect with backwards until we can get to our child self where we can have a true connection. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Even if it wasn't the origin of pain, you still experience pain, true pain, real pain in those other ages that's important to be able to connect to as well. And then we'll help create a bridge for the ages that we're more disconnected with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another another way to sum that up is um, I wrote in my notes, uh, do the part of the compassion method that you can do in the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to say that. Whatever module, whatever part that you feel more comfortable with, do that and do it for 15 minutes. Do it for and 20 minutes. you might minutes. have to deal with the trigger that you might not be doing it in the exact order because that might be okay a trigger. Too. No, it's true because sometimes we can't do it in the order because one of the modules is something we haven't connected to as much. And so we can't do it that way. So pick the one that you do connect with. I love that. And then spend time with yourself in that module in that area of the compassion method. Think about the compassion method as a recipe, but it does not matter what order you put it in. The it pot. really doesn't. Even in the remote control exercise, even though that's kind of how our brain gets to the end, it's still helpful just to go straight to compassion. And skip the other steps until we can come back to it later. Oh, I do that quite frequently mm-hmm. because that like compassion really actually almost is what helps me pause. Exactly. And that helps you pause. It helps you get yeah. more tender. And so there's, it's actually helpful when your brain is com- more hijacked just to go to compassion until you can come back to the other areas. I think the word I've used before is that the compassion is like the meat tenderizer. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the tenderizer for my heart. So if I can just connect to just a little bit of that my heart starts to get in that it does. softer Even place. It's a small percentage. It's enough to get us through, enough Calmer to get us place. connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great, Laura. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I hope that for those that have experienced big pain, which pretty much is everybody listening. Yeah. Unfortunately, we cannot uh, walk this uh, life out on planet earth without experiencing no. pain at all different levels of sizes. But Hopefully, we are giving a um, giving a blueprint, if you will, or a yeah. vision. I think vision is the better word. A vision for a world where you can find hope in the midst, yeah, and peace, and yeah. comfort, and joy in the midst of yeah. whatever. Um, and that's one of my going through the reasons why I created the compassion method was to help people to be able to go through pain and still be okay. Primarily because that's what I experienced, that I went through such a big pain that I learned how to be able to be okay in the middle of it, that I wanted to give that to other people. And it is such a gift because like I said before, most of the things that happen in our lives are outside of our control. We can't control our external world. And it's not necessarily that we want to control our inner world, but we can take care of our inner world 
and our perspective changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I'm reminded of, and this was actually something, well, a really big take home uh, from your husband's book that he wrote um, towards the end of his life was just how precious of a gift life is. Yeah. And really this process helps you open the gift. It helps yeah. you enjoy the gift. Mm-hmm. And it's such a wonderful opportunity to have this opportunity to simply be alive. Yeah, it is. And this helps us be more present. I recently went through some triggers connected to pain and to death and um, being able to recognize one of the biggest fruits of it is that I get to be more present and more connected with myself and others, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And that's such a gift because we want to be able to show up even when we're in pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Laura, and thank you everyone for listening. And once again, thank you to this uh, wonderful listener that yeah, stimulated this great question. conversation with uh, with a wonderful question. So yeah. uh, thank you. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. We hope that you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, go to triggeredandtrue.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click ask. And if you would like to learn more about the Compassion Method, be sure to check out the Compassion Method Master Course, which can be purchased at CompassionMethod.net. And as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount, which can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. Thank you again. Goodbye. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. We hope that you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, go to triggeredandtrue.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click ask. And if you would like to learn more about the Compassion Method, be sure to check out the Compassion Method Master Course, which can be purchased at CompassionMethod.net. And as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount, which can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. Thank you again. Goodbye.